coming up on Art Palace. Female composers have been around for, I mean, since the 11th century. We just don't know them. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Eckert Proy, music director of the Cincinnati Chamber Orchestra. <laughs> so, so how, how, how you been? Um, pretty good, actually. I mean... Um... Uh, it was, of course, a very difficult time for the, for the arts and for, um, for music, but um, fortunately, the uh, Chamber Orchestra has always been uh, busy, and uh, we were one of the first organizations last year uh, in, the, in the summer to perform publicly, uh, and which was, of course, a thrill. And I think we paved the way for many other organizations to uh, follow our model and, 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 and also to do things outdoors, to do things in small ensembles. And um, and just to go out in the community, get out of the concert hall, which is something that music organizations always wanted to do, but never never actually did. <laughs> go out, go out in the in the in the community, in the streets, in the squares, and uh, and, and 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 play music. Right? Yeah, so that's that was that was a great thing. Yeah, I know. It seems like we we kind of hear we always felt like a little blessed in some ways with with this because theaters, music, places like that had a much harder time. Whereas we're a building where we already don't want you to touch anything but yeah i was thinking you guys were already starting playing right around the same time we were opening so and we did play for your opening as well for the yeah. uh, for the staircase which is awesome yeah. yeah that's what i was thinking it was like they were the same weekend you were out on art climb playing uh the same time we were the f first day we were open to the public so so yeah that's that's cool and i know that's always been your philosophy is to like kind of expand what a concert can be and should be and so i mean did you do you think you kind of learned anything from this experience or were there things that came out of it that might you might want to explore further well i think uh, we first uh, um reconfirmed what we already knew that we were very nimble yeah uh, that as a small arts organization we are uh, extremely ad adaptable and that our collaborations uh, which are at the heart of our organizations come in very handy if we wanted to do something interesting outdoors. So that's why we went to the zoo. That's why we uh, did, did art, art climb, um, et, 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 et cetera. So we have these, these different uh, locations already uh, and, and relationships uh, already established uh, where we then we can just uh, partner and, and do things outdoors. I think what we've also learned is um, that music and performance is a social affair. Um, of course, you can listen to music on your headphones, and it's lots, loads, loads of lots of fun, maybe. Um, but the real enjoyment of music is the sharing. Has to do with sharing, and has to, has, to, has to do with that you sit there together with a hundred or a thousand or how many people together, listening to the same thing, having a different experience, but but sharing that experience. And I think that. Um, the this, this this the social aspect is super super important and uh and the chamber orchestra has always emphasized you know kind of the family feel mm. uh, always but when, when i come here and compared with other orchestras it has very much a family feel 
that everybody, if it's in, in the audience or on stage, feels they are part of, 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 a, of a group that is very dedicated to just this cause and this organization. And that's a very, very strong emotional connection. How did you get connected with the chamber orchestra? What's your, what's your story? <laughs> My story is that um, I was actually already pretty busy uh, with uh, two <laughs> orchestras and uh, on, on, on two coasts. And then I saw the opening in Cincinnati and I listened to uh, a recording of the, of the chamber orchestra and I thought, well, these guys can play. Um, I'm interested. <laughs> and then when I read up on the organization, um, I was really intrigued by the very you know, unique model of you know, thematic concerts that are always in connection with other collaborators in town. So there's mm -hmm. very lot of strong artistic connections that go beyond music. While orchestras usually just play music and you walk, you go in, you listen to the music and you walk out. And and it's 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 just about the music. But here I think you can enhance the musical experience by adding other art forms. And I and I found that very, very very intriguing. Uh and uh and so I um applied for the position and um we kind of enough you know, as a con conductor we always talk about the chemistry that you might have or not with an orchestra. And I and I felt the um, chemistry with the with the orchestra pretty much right 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 away, and that hasn't changed. And so um, I'm I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Yeah, I know we've done um, when you talk about this kind of collaborations and way of working. You know, we've come up with projects uh, together when you know we had like Paris 1900 and uh, coming up with a concert that connects with that. Or uh, I've I've helped choose artworks to show at a concert uh so what are what are some other different ways other or art arts organizations in the cities have partnered with you all so we did um a program together with uh madcap uh puppets uh, and that was um a, a piece by stravinsky uh Pulcinella suite mm -hmm. which is a beautiful um you know neo-romantic uh piece and uh, and 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 uh, so we, so we partnered with Madcap Puppets, who then kind of told the story, which which was interesting because Stravinsky is not necessarily music that kids listen to, right. but because of um, uh, Madcap, you know, we had a lot of younger audiences all of a sudden in there, and and they listened to Stravinsky, which is absolutely phenomenal when you're a ten year old or an eight year old or whatever, yeah. at, at whatever age, and um, and we had uh, several. Um, um, collaborations with uh with uh, dancers and, and and i'm always cautious when you add a visual element to music because what you see usually overrides what you what you hear so you have to we have to be very very uh, conscientious about this so that it enhances and doesn't it doesn't uh um obstruct the view or the, or the, or the listening experience and um we had um a, a collaboration with a with a shakespeare company um uh, who who uh told um or read from journals from from composers and uh and that actually was was more fascinating than i thought it would be because all of a sudden composers who um who are these these people that you never really know you just know the music all of a sudden they become human and 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 all their flaws become very obvious and you think you know that person had the same problem that 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 I have, and 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 uh, and expresses you know their emotions and their thoughts in music, and all of a sudden you have a totally different a different uh, mm -hmm. connection, both emotionally but 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 also mentally to the to the music, and I think um, that that worked really really well. So so we have, we have and then of course we are um, 
we have this uh, long-standing relationship with with you where visual arts mm -hmm. and uh and and music have you know a great a great relationship and symbiosis that they can that they can, that they can do and then we have also non-musical uh, um collaborations like um with the cincinnati observatory um which uh you know um Again, it's, 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 it's something that uh, might not be obvious at first, um, but uh, there's so much music that explores space and the unknown in general. Yeah, yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about this concert you have coming up in our own backyard, um, because we have uh, Women in Music on Friday, August 20th, which is going to be in the Season Good Pavilion just across the street from us. But tell me a little bit about this uh, upcoming concert. So uh, on August 20th at 8 p.m., um, we are at Season Good, right across the street. And first of all, I have to say that I'm absolutely excited to be at Season Good because I feel that um, the outdoors experience, to listen to music in nature or outdoors, is quite different from the indoor experience. Mm. Uh, that, um, you know, because, because all the influences, that are, all the, the surroundings, I think, uh, impact your experience, and I think it will be very different um, from um, from when we are at SCPA, where we have uh, usually our concerts, and we'll, and we'll see how it how it shakes out. Some people might like it better, some 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 people might might not. But for for me, it's always thrilling to be outdoors because there's a certain freedom about it, you know, being being out in nature and not 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 being cramped cramped in in your in your seat, and so so this, uh, so so we we'll, so we'll try to. Um, make this make this a very a, a very special concert, also because of the theme. So uh, this concert is dedicated to women in in, in music, and we are exploring um, um, the idea uh, and the history a little bit of uh, female performers and composers, uh, because female composers have been around for I mean since the 11th century. We just don't know them. They've always been there, and it's probably just like like in visual arts as, as well. Uh, women have been, you know, muses for the longest time, always inspired men. Mm. Um, but uh, of course, they've been performers and and and, and painters and composers as, uh, as as well, and they have been kind of always been been put on the back burner. And uh, there, there are so many um, successful, wonderful. Um, artists, uh, performers, and, and and composers that we just that have always been in the in the back uh, in the back room, and consciously put that way. And it's 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 amazing to me that even um, uh, uh, well-educated, smart men like the like like the Mendelssohns, like um, uh, Moses Mendelssohn and, and Abraham, um, that the the idea of having a woman, their daughter, or, or granddaughter. Being a composer was absolutely not, absolutely not, not possible. That actually Fanny Mendelssohn, who was the sister of Felix Mendelssohn Pataldi, was told, "You cannot, no, you cannot be a composer, not a professional composer." And so, uh, and 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 that happened over the century, over and over again. Same thing with with uh, performers. There were very very few that were basically allowed to be successful. Clara Schumann being one of them. You know, but the idea of having a being, having a woman on stage being exposed physically, but also then exposing emotions, emoting on stage, was something that was just absolutely not not tolerable at that at the time. And so, so, so there's there's a lot of stories, I'm sure, in, in visual arts as well, 
where you shake your head nowadays and said, why, why, why? And, that's, and, and so there's a lot of holes in music history that we have to fill. And um, and so and I think that's going to be it's going to going to take years, even even uh, decades, to kind of discover all these hidden these hidden treasures, you know, composers that have not been published, where we have to dig out the the autograph some some somewhere, and that is starting right right now. And the same thing is with uh, performers rediscovering these great um, uh, uh, female performers that have always always been there. We just we just we just uh, we just don't know them. So this is kind of what. Uh, what this what this uh, concert um, is uh, is about, and so we're highlighting three very different uh, contemporary uh, female composers from different backgrounds. Um, one is uh, Jessie Montgomery. Uh, she lives she lives in New York in New York City. She comes from a background of jazz, and improvisation, and spiritual, and, um, and, uh, and and this kind of this melting pot idea of, of New York City, and brings that into her her music. Then we have Rina Ismail. She's an Indian American composer, and she combines the worlds of Hindustani music and Western classical music, which can be not further apart because Hindustani music is all about improvisation and solo performance, and Western music is all about control and measured and and, and, and orchestral. And where can they meet? Mm -hmm. And then the third is Gabriella Smith. She's from um, uh, California, and um, she uh, um, is, is more like an... Um, an, an environmentalist. She's 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 a nature lover, and she has actually a, she calls it a hydrophone where she can uh, record sounds underwater. And she's all wow. inspired by by sounds uh, of uh, nature. And in, 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 in her piece, she also brings two worlds together. And this is the world of Johann Sebastian Bach, and then her new nature inspired idea of uh, of music. And so so um, and then we have also of course a, a, a female performer, uh, Caroline Goulding who is a Grammy-nominated uh, violinist. She's absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal performer, and she's going to play Mozart. I listened to that piece, the Brandenburg Interstices. Um, how, do you know anything like more about the, the way it's constructed? I mean, it's obviously borrowing elements from the Brandenburg Concerto, but I'm just kind of curious if there's sort of like a, a, a way it's put together or a sort of system to it. Well, I mean, um, it, is, it is really odd that Bach is probably the most, imitated composer ever yeah that so many people over decades if not centuries have tried to emulate a Bach if it, if it was the Swingle Singers if it was Stokowski if it was Schoenberg if it was um, uh, wh whoever I mean this because there's oh jazz you know um, there are there are there, there is there's something in the in, in Bach's music that connects to the DNA of all Western music so so everybody feels like very very connected to it and thought oh, I can use that yeah and and, and also you, you can it it, 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 it it is not an end point it is you know um, uh, Bach's music is a starting point for many musical thoughts and I think that's where uh, the 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 the, 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 the Interstices? Is that how you pronounce it? Interstices? I said interstices, but I actually have no idea. <laughs> I think it's interstices. I'm um, like, go ahead. Um, yeah, you tell me, because I actually was like, I don't think I've ever... That's what Google said. Interstices. In interstices. Interstices okay. um, is a place, you know, where, where things meet or where you, where you can pull to pull together. And I think um, that's, that's kind of where the 21st century meets, you know, the uh, 17th, 18th century. And uh, and so and so so what uh, what what you do is uh, is you 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 take the DNA 
you cut it in a little bit and and put it put it elsewhere and you and you turn it around you turn it on, on its head you do it back backwards you you take it apart you add different different rhythms mm-hmm. you split up the notes put them in different different instruments these are all tried and true musical methods com- mm-hmm. compositional methods that have been around for the longest time and um and uh, but but she gives it a, you know her own personal personal spin because she has a very she's very young she's like 30 some 31 maybe 32 years old all of you i think all of these yeah. composers are incredibly young yeah right? they're, they're, and, and, and they have already what i find interesting and that's what is what is so promising about them is they're young yet they have already found a very specific recognizable voice and uh, you know some some composers look for the longest time you know or artists look for the longest time for their style and it seems to me that that they already you know they're kind of very, very comfortable in their own musical skin. All of these composers are incredibly young, and that's because this is sort of when, you know, women composers are being recognized is very recently, right? Like, there's not, it's not an accident. And it's the same thing with art, where it's like, well, trying to find women artists before the 20th century is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like you're saying, they existed, they were there, but history didn't remember them, and... You know, we have to, that's the job of a museum is to sort of accept that we create that history, right? We we are responsible by choosing what we show and what we collect. Um, and so that's kind of why we need to think about those things and, and change what we do now because it will have a ripple effect many, many years down the road. And that's why we chose young composers, young female composers, because we not only create history, we also create the future. Totally. And and so the earlier we recognize uh, and perform these composers, the more success they will have and it will it will just perpetuate itself so so, yeah. so, so that we, we do have a more richer future. Yeah, it's just like a museum. By buying a work of art by a, a, a young artist, we are changing their career, you know? And by performing it, you are also affecting their career. And so, like, the idea of these institutions is just like, you know, we just show what's great. You know, I think sometimes people think we have a much more removed uh, role in sort of presenting art and music. And it's like, no, we're actually right in the thick of it, actually. We're, we're, we're active participants in this. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great uh, transition into going and looking at some art and seeing what how what we see in it. And I've uh, picked out a few pieces that I think will connect with uh, some of the ideas we've been talking about. Um, well, let's go look at some art. Cool. <laughs> Elizabeth Louise Vigée Lebrun. We don't roll R's in French, but (laughs) she's not Spanish. It's actually, it's a good question. Like, I I never know exactly how much stink to put on those names because like, for instance, my instinct is to say Elizabeth. Like, even though it's not, it's not like Elisabeth. Elisabeth Louise Vigée Lebrun. Elisabeth Louise Vigée Lebrun. Lebrun. You know, like really leave that N hanging out there. My, my high school French teacher told me that you just think about the end or, you know, like those last 
letters, you don't say them, you just think about them. <laughs> sort of let them be their imaginary. So anyway, yeah, I'll set this up actually for real. We are in gallery 207, uh, looking at Elizabeth uh, Louise Vigée Lebrun's uh, painting, Young Woman Playing a Liar. So I chose this painting for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, uh, obviously this is a woman painter at a time when that is not uh, common. So this painting is is just sort of dated to the late 1780s, so we don't have an exact date of it. Um, but also because timeline-wise, it does connect nicely. I know you have uh, one of your, your, your performing Mozart. Yes, correct. Yeah, um, Mozart. Violin concerto number five. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is a person who's, this artist, her lifetime overlaps with Mozart pretty much perfectly. Um, I think she lived a little longer, um, but uh, actually she was uh, known for making paintings for Marie Antoinette, um, who is Austrian <laughs> originally, like Mozart, and actually they met, I believe, at, at a young age. It's interesting, I think, to think about the music of that time and the, the art of that time and to sort of see what, what connections there are. So do you see anything when you, when you think about those, uh, the music you're going to be playing in this painting? Well, what I'm saying, um, what I'm seeing uh, looking at this painting is A, um, it is a woman as a, as, a, as a performer, as an entertainer, yeah. which was, of course, a role that women played until, you know, basically radio came along, mm -hmm. that, that, they, that they played the piano. Uh, that was just what a good young woman would do. And I think that's what she's doing here, playing playing the lyre. And, and of course, I think the most you know, obvious and stunning thing is the way she looks, because it is this adoring... Um, a uh, uh, um, look uh, that um, she plays for someone. Hmm. So she's not playing for herself. She's really, really, really playing, playing for someone. Um, and um, then, then I look at her fingers, knowing uh, from the modern harp that harpists have steel fingers. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> that was, of course, a little bit different for, for the lyre because the tension of the strings was not uh, that, uh, that uh, strong. But um, it, is, it is somehow a very, very captivating uh, picture, and, she, and uh, it, it draws you in. Which yeah, I find really amazing. her fingers do look very soft. And very, very soft, and, and 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 actually, it's only one hand that actually touches the string. The other, the other hand holds the lyre. So, which means there's only usually probably one, maximum two notes uh, that you hear at this at the same time, and it is a, a six-string instrument. So, um, so it's going to be mostly, you know, I would expect that she would also sing. But that mm. is very hard to see at this point. But I would um, assume that she only plays chords, or or just uh, single single notes at the lyre, and then she would uh, accompanying her basically singing. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Um, the the kind of softness we were talking about is definitely something you see in a lot of this artist's work. Like she always, a lot of her her women do have like a really. Um, sweet face. There's a lot of like this, you know, kind of round face that uh, this woman has. I don't think we know exactly who this is or if it's supposed to be a, a, a specific person or it's just sort of a, an, an ideal person. Um, and, 
you know, her dress is also, uh, we, when you came in, we were looking at this painting next to, uh, next to her thinking you, maybe this was going to be, now this is another big whopper of a name, Madame Titon de Cogny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you look at the way they're, these two women are dressed, it's pretty different. Um, this is definitely more, you know, feels a little more opulent and, and right. she's sort of wearing this, like, it's kind of hearkening back to, to Greece and ancient Greek, uh, dress. And there's a certain sort of like simplicity to that too. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but I notice is that, you know, in this painting, the lines are very blurred in many ways. There's not very clear cut lines. Um, uh, whereas if you listen to music of that period, like Mozart or so, it's all about really it, the, the aforementioned simplicity that, that mm. you mentioned, but it's also very clean lines. So you basically mm. really have just a baseline uh, and an accompanying figure, a, a accompaniment figure and a melody. And that's it. These are the three elements that you you, you have, and and this very it's very very clean cut. Where here, like between the hands and the background, and so it's all it's all very fluid and soft, and um, um, I don't know. It's 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 almost through through a, um, a veil for me. It's very mm. it's, it's it's very veiled. But, yeah. uh, but, but 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 I can tell your Greek uh, um, connection there. Yeah. Yeah. This ideal of. Um, of it's almost statuesque in many ways. Well, I mean, it's interesting to think about it also, like uh, in in the kind of what's going on at the time too, like uh, making an image that feels maybe a little less opulent, uh, because you know <laughs> what's what's coming in France <laughs> at this time is 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 revolution, and you know the people who look like this are about to lose their heads. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's really what's kind of influencing this sort of return to simplicity. I mean, Marie Antoinette actually has paintings of her where, I mean, she had like a little play village where she would go and pretend to be like a poor farmer. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it was just like kind of the insanity of like what the aristocracy of that time did. That wasn't like unusual like for her. It was like lots of people did it. So, I mean, it could also just be more that, like this sort of weird romanticizing of a simpler life, um, even though the reality is like those people were starving and, you know, and they, the government wasn't helping them. So, uh, yeah, like it's, it's interesting. Actually, Vigée Lebrun, the artist, she ended up fleeing uh, France because she was, because she was connected with Marie Antoinette. Um, she was considered a counter-revolutionary and it wasn't for years later until she was able to finally return to France when her name was like taken off the list. Um, she wasn't like an official court painter, but she was one of um, Marie Antoinette's favorite portraitists. So she did lots of portraits of her. Um, but, you know, anyway, I just thought this was an interesting example of a, of a, a woman artist at a time where there aren't a lot. I mean, th there were others, but... Uh, she was a part of like the official academy of uh, of art in France um, until the revolution in which that was abolished. So after the revolution, women could no longer be a part of the academy. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing of like the idea of like progress. <laughs> you know, you think of this as like, well, it was a progressive thing to, but then it's like, well, maybe not in every single way like it's it's kind of good to remember that there are nuances to to all of this but there were other women who were a part of that academy but very 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 few um and her father was actually a painter as well and is is how she learned to paint so well any other thoughts about this one 
No, I really, I really like it. Um, it's like just looking, look, looking around. Um, I uh, feel the the more I look at it, the more posed it it, it seems to me. That um, it's, it's like it's like when I look at the at the peach in, in the next building. It's like they just had to do something, <laughs> you know. How do you, what do you do in the painting? What do you do with your hands? What do you do, you know, with your with your posture? And it feels to me, it feels to me that this is a very idealized uh, pose of, you know, it's almost what what this reminds me of is it's painted from a male perspective. But it's not. Exactly. <laughs> but it's painted. It's like this as a as a man. This is what you want. You want a, a voluptuous woman. Um, gazing at you dreamily while playing the lyre, maybe singing, and you know what's what's coming next. But what's interesting, you're saying gazing at you, but in, in fact, this painting actually doesn't look at you um, compared to like our our Madame Titon, who does make direct eye contact with the viewer. She's actually looking off. She's looking off uh, the, into into space and not looking at you. Um, so I think that that is actually a difference of where you're, you know, you're maybe still seeing it as that, but I don't, I don't necessarily see it that way because she's not making eye contact. And there is a ton of art. Like if we went over uh, and looked at uh, the Venus uh, at her toilettes by Vouet, it's another French painting, but she is making clear eye contact and it's a nude and it has that kind of male gaze going on. Whereas I don't necessarily see this here. I mean, she's not... It's really hard to say, like what, what is also seen as alluring at the time, too. You know, like the standards of of beauty and all of those things change so much that it's like hard to know. Like, oh, I don't know, was yeah, this alluring? Yeah. yeah, I mean, as a man, you don't necessarily rationalize things. You know, you see a gaze and you think that's probably for me, <laughs> even though it's not looking at you at all. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's looking it's somewhere like, else. That could be me. That could be me. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to the our next artwork. All right, so we are now in Gallery 123, uh, and we're looking at a work by an artist named Karen Lamont, and it's called Seated Dress with Impression of Drapery. And uh, I got to say, it's it's uh, we've got two two guys here to talk about women artists, so I don't know if this is the the best combination, but we do have our handlers here, <laughs> Anne and Leanne. So uh, keep us in line, if because uh, we're we're not really bringing a per female perspective at all uh, to this conversation, uh, but. But as I said before, behind every man stands a very, a very strong woman. And you have two of them here. You have two of them standing behind you. But they're both here for me. Okay. They're, yeah, they're that's true. They're me. not for me. They're both here for you. I don't. I don't get one. So, uh, so I'm curious what you, um, what your immediate impressions of of this piece were when you saw it when you came in. Um, I was like, wow, um, <laughs> because, because usually you don't, uh, it, the dress is part of the sculpture and here there is basically nobody, it's really just a, just, a, just a dress. And I thought it was a really intriguing idea, but my very first thought artistically was, okay, this is a piece that was made in 2005, yet all the drapery, the way it falls and the way it's done, it reminds me very much of the old paintings. Mm -hmm. And that this, this, this DNA of the old artists is very much embedded in here. And that reminded me of music is that no matter how contemporary the music is, the DNA is still the same that we had 500 years ago. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think it, it, not only paintings, that's the, she, the artist has, you know, directly said she's very influenced by the way drapery you see in portraits like we were looking at um, uh, paintings and also uh, Greek sculptures you know if you see the way that the fabric clings to the body in in those sculptures um, it's a really similar thing um, and here she's sort of focusing on where the only thing that is actually material <laughs> is is the fabric but it's it's in glass too so there's all these layers to it that are really strange um and i don't know if you can notice here um can you you can see through the the dress into the to see the feet and the legs can you see those in there yeah that are truly just hollow like so what's interesting is like all of the places where the body would be is hollow space um, and because it's glass, we can see it in, in there. Um, I just, while I was looking at it the other day, I noticed for the first time, there's this, um, she had her, the model had their hands in their lap and you can see the grooves of the fingers in this fabric here where the hand was supporting the fabric. And now it's leaving this impression where it is not, um, and it's, it's so detailed, like you can see almost like you feel like you can feel the difference in the texture of the skin in those spaces. So your connection you were making with music was a similar one that I was kind of interested in here too, was thinking about this in uh, similarity to, to the way we were talking about um, the composer who's taking Bach and kind of taking that structure, removing things, adding things, playing with it, um, that she's kind of doing a similar thing, looking at the history of art and the history of how, you know, we see women and their bodies in art and then playing with that, taking away elements to focus on other things. Right. I mean, the other thing that this reminds me of is, of course, you know, the fairgrounds, you know, where you have this thing where you stick your head through. <laughs> um, that's kind of just popped in my mind because I thought, you know, the most important feature actually of a, of a, of a human being that you, you judge right away is like, what does that face look like? And the face is, of course, missing. And then it's all hollow, which then makes uh, reminded me of like, there's so much like classical music that sounds at first listening alike. Mm -hmm. So I can, I can probably play you three or four different of Mozart's contemporaries that at first listening sound just like Mozart. Mm -hmm. You cannot tell, but, but this is just so, but uh, once you get to the substance, to the body, which is missing here, the hollow, once you get to that, then, then you can say, okay, this is definitely not Mozart. This is what Mozart had. There's a certain substance to the music, which Mr. Erler, for instance, who is a contemporary, did not have, or Miss Levichek or so. Yeah. When you're talking about the, the head uh, being missing, though, the thing that makes me think of, too, is when you go to a museum and you're looking at sort of like old Greek sculptures and things where we are like looking a lot at these figures where the head is missing or, you know, the arms are missing or, you know, I'm thinking like the Nike of uh, Samothrace at the Louvre is like this really famous sculpture that's like, I, I think it's missing its head. Um, so it's like we are kind of, we have this weird 
thing of we are also kind of used to seeing these strange decapitated bodies and in weird ways that we've idealized yeah. but we're also completing it in our head i think right. i mean i do i do that it's like you know our imagination is so strong that we i mean i cannot live with just a one-armed sculpture so, so automatically you always imagine what would that look like and here right. i always imagine like all these different people that could be in that dress and how would those people and the characteristics of these people change the dress yeah, because I think also the clothes look different on different people, and so 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 I think that this dress, which seems like almost you know unchangeable, which of course is because it's glass, but <laughs> how would it actually change, or the how would the impression of it change depending on what head you imagine on there? Yeah, totally. She's playing a game with us where we can't help but put the body back in, you know? And I think that's the important part of, of the way that she is casting the body in there as a void and taking the time to do that. I think when she, the first pieces she made, the very first one she did, didn't have that uh, hollow impression of the body in it anymore. Um, it was just sort of the, the form without the body, but she then realized like, I want that negative space in there and how do I get that? And she went to these kind of crazy lengths to do it. So she casts a person, a figure, um, just nude, uh, you know, in this case, a woman seated, and she'll make a full body cast of them to then cast that in wax. And then she takes that wax and then she uses the fabric and the drapery to, to do that. And I'm, I'm assuming she's stiffening it in some way. I don't totally understand all every step of her process, but then she then is able to t cut away the, the body, the, the, the wax, and leave just the fabric, which she can then turn into another mold to cast the, the glass. So it's this like very multi, multiple steps to get to this uh, just to ensure that she has this negative space uh, that's still so important to it. And, and, and I, th I think we're also in need of completion. Yeah. You know, um, so, so when, when, when I go to Pompeii or so, and I look at, or, or at Rome, and I look at all these ruins, all these partially intact buildings, that I always try to complete it in my head and imagine mm. what it would look completed. But then maybe, maybe that's just me. Yeah. You know, of course, you can, you can appreciate the decay and the partiality of uh, a certain sculpture or mm -hmm. building, but uh, for me, I always, I always try to try to have this thing where it has to be completed. Yeah, <laughs> it has to be finished. Well, it's this, it's this thing too, where like that idea of like the thing missing kind of brings about this sort of. It, it makes the piece more abstract in a way too, where now it's about the drapery, it's about those forms and about the shapes um, and the way they they are informed by the body, but just sort of left on their own. You know, you have these strange corners and things that you might not see if the arm was there because it would sort of just naturally continue on. So it does create these interesting shapes that um, we might not notice without the, with, if the body was there still, so. So no, do, you, do you have a favorite uh, woman artist? Do you, uh, can you think of any? Well, now I have several. You now, got a couple. Now to that we from. walked That's through true. here, I, sort of... I have, have several. But what what I noticed is that in in my, in my in my general database in my head, it's all male artists, and it's also the case, of course, for composers because that's what we were being taught. That's what we were being exposed to. 
And I think what you're trying to do and what we are trying to do as an, as, as a chamber orchestra is to change that information input so yeah. that people know it's like, yes, I have heard this person and, and, and this uh, composer who are female and now I, and, and I can build on this and that made me curious to explore on myself more because there are hundreds, if not thousands of them. We just don't know them. And that's our responsibility as an organization, but also as an individual. Yeah, it's definitely something we need to to try to work to correct. And again, we're also fighting with our own histories in some of these instances. You know, it's like if, if nobody collected this work throughout the hundred years of the institution, you know, you've got a lot of work to do to make up for it. So it's, it's tricky. So, well, thank you so much for being my guest today, Eckert. Thank you, Russell. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. The museum is currently open, but please visit our website for the most up-to-date information about operating hours and museum policies. Current special exhibitions are Paintings, Politics, and the Monuments Men, the Berlin Masterpieces in America, American Painting, the 80s Revisited, and Future Retrieval, Close Parallel. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we also have an Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalan. And as always, please rate and review us to help others find the show. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. <laughs>